You are Locked On Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Padres Podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day, or at least sometimes every day, for Monday, August 29th. As always, I am your host, with sometimes occasionally, but certainly not always the most, Javier Reyes. You might be familiar with my uh, baseball-related work at Just Baseball, where I am a staff writer. Great website. You should definitely go check that out. And also... um. Just thank you for making Lockdown Padres your first listen every day. Uh, I know that I'm not always immediate. I've been a little bit uh, slow lately. We're going to talk about that later. But of course, guys, also a reminder, follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, or at L-O underscore Padres. And of course, if you want to see whatever shirt I'm rocking. And today I'm being a little bit of a homer. A little bit of a homer. I'm a company man today. Uh, if you want to see what shirt I'm rocking, go check out the YouTube, Lockdown Padres. And oh boy, ladies and gentlemen, today... <laughs> I'm so excited. This is great. It's great. Oh, man. It's awesome. Guys, we got to talk about Josh Hader. Uh, we're going to be talking about this weekend series as a whole for sure uh, against the Kansas City Royals. But the biggest news, without a doubt, is Josh Hader. He's trending. I recently wrote an article about him that'll be up actually on Just Baseball soon, where I kind of talk about all my thoughts on him that a uh, longtime listener of the show probably, or not even long time, but month time since the trade happened. Uh, listeners might be familiar with, but still, if you want to check that out. It's probably going to be up by the time this episode drops. And man, we have a lot to discuss because this isn't, I think the thing with Josh Hader is that what's happened is it reminds me just a tiny bit of the situation with Blake Snell last year. What I mean by that isn't necessarily on the count of specific skill set or even the assets that were traded or whatnot, or, and obviously even their position. But more of this vibe of it seems like the Padres very clearly traded for Josh Hader and then also Blake Snell at the absolute height of their value. Maybe a little bit less with Josh Hader because the last time Blake Snell pitched pre-Padres was in that World Series game where he infamously was pulled despite, despite absolutely just destroying the Dodgers because some kid... Wearing a Princeton jersey, you know, rocking a, a laptop said, oh, no, wait, you got to take him out. Probably said so, right? And then let's bring in the closure that's been terrible for us. So anyway, anyway, I think that it reminds me of the Padres once again. And A.J. Preller and company deserve blame for buying high on a piece that you didn't look into maybe why the team was trading him, right? There was a little bit of suspicion. And that was my thing when the trade happened. I gave the trade a B plus, a B minus to a B plus. Uh, because, or a B to B plus, I forgot what the heck I said. I was a little bit too much of a coward to say B and go a little bit lower. So I'd say B plus. I didn't want people getting mad at me. Um, that one of my big things was the Milwaukee Brewers just don't miss on trades. Uh, they don't, this is not a second, even third rate organization, right? Like this is a team that traded for Christian Yelich at the right time. They made good moves to acquire Corbin Burns, right? They, they developed talent pretty well. They don't miss too often on trades. Trent Grisham, with the Padres has not turned out all that great. And they gave up Luis Arias and Eric Lauer. And, you know, not that those players are all-timers, but they clearly had an idea of something, right? The Tampa Bay Rays, right, when the Padres traded for Emilio Pagan, right? And for Blake Snell last year, there was a vibe of, oh my God, you aren't just underperforming. You are absolutely falling apart. Like, I've already given up on you being maybe at the peak of your power with Blake Snell, but you're telling me you're going to pitch to like a five ERA? 
And that's the case with uh, Ush Ash Hader right now, who currently has, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I don't even... It's, it's hard for me to say this. Josh Hader, probably the universally believed to be the best closer in all of baseball, currently has a 23.14 ERA with the Padres. His lifetime ERA for the record is 2.78. <laughs> that's, that's how... It's not even a, a Taylor Rogers situation where a pitcher is just not having the best of seasons and he's blowing a bunch of games. He's not throwing strikes. He's throwing balls that... Luis Campizano can't even catch, or whoever the heck has caught him before in previous blowups. These pitches that aren't even competitive, nobody's swinging at his pitches either. He just looks lost out there. And sure, you can chalk it up as mental. But for my thing is, the Brewers don't make mistakes. It was weird that he became available suspiciously close to the deadline that we were getting rumors. It's not like, say, uh, Andrew Benatendi. Right or David Robertson to use a, a, another closer where those guys have been in trade rumors for a while. Right, everybody knew those guys are probably going to get moved. Josh Hader it just kind of sprung up, and that's weird considering that he had all of these blowups before being traded to the Padres. Right, and he had never had anything like that before. And on Sunday he did it against the Kansas City Royals. The Padres end up losing the game fifteen to seven. Now not all of it is on Josh Hader. We'll get to you, Mister Manaya, in a second. Don't don't think for a second you're being spared of the roast session that is coming your way. Um, but with Josh Hader, it is very. Uh, I mean, he doesn't even last an inning. He doesn't even get two outs. Six earned runs on five hits, two walks, and a strikeout. Whatever. Uh, I mean, on the year, his 6.52 ERA with a 1.47 whip, and he's getting hit. He's getting hit. He's getting bashed. I don't know if he's, I forgot if he's given up a home run yet, but it doesn't even matter because he's giving up singles and he's just walking every batter that it comes across the plate. Obviously, everybody's talked about, he's been ruined from the closer role. That is seriously becoming a thing of, I don't know if he's going to go back to it anytime soon because he's been horrible. And I actually got a, a DM from uh, Timothy Pike on Twitter, Southtown Legend um, on Twitter, who mentioned to me, he said, uh, Martinez had some issues starting earlier in the year, referring to Nick Martinez, of course, and he seems to really have found it in the bullpen. Do you think it'd be a good idea to have him start the next two rotations and have Manaya come out of the pen to see if he can get it figured out? That's where we're at right now, where we're wondering, is Nick Martinez just the closer right now? Like, does Nick Martinez have to be a closer? A player that I think is one of the most underrated on the Padres and one of the more underrated players in baseball this year just because of what the expectations were heading in. Uh, I was very infamously critical of the signing when they brought him in, but then, you know, about a month before the season, I was like, ah, whatever. He's a five-star. Maybe he learned some things. He throws harder than he was ever since he spent his time in Japan. So he does throw a little bit harder, and it clearly has worked, right? He's been a very effective reliever for the Padres, a team that has... Just not had a lot of luck with relievers this year, clearly. Um, I just, I think that A.J. Preller, as much credit as you have to give him with Juan Soto, as much credit you have to give him with even Josh Bell, who I tweeted today has been performing remarkably better ever since I roasted him on Twitter with that, uh, the Scooby-Doo meme with the taking off the mask and then it was Eric Hosmer and not Josh Bell. Um, Ever since then, 258, 361, 516 slash line with a 149 WRC plus so he's improving right so yes don't get me wrong I still think the Padres won the trade deadline but AJ Preller probably got a little bit too trigger happy I am I've been very critical of Josh Hader I tweeted out that he was that he's cooked about two weeks ago and clearly uh that seems to not have changed um and it's 
concerning, ladies and gentlemen. It's concerning. Uh, but before we continue to talk about Josh Hader and the rest of this weekend's happenings, I guess we must say, um, let me just give you guys all seriousness. I joke about how if I made a mistake that, oh, I must have been high or whatever the heck, right? But got to give you a little bit of a message from the NHTSA about, you know, driving under the influence of whatnot, guys. If you, if you think it's okay to drive stoned, well... The truth is your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone around you. So in all seriousness, guys, stop kidding yourself. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. Take it very seriously, ladies and gentlemen. Be careful out there. But let's keep it um, rolling, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Just a little, not to, not to get things too downer for everybody listening. But I had to put that out there. Very important message. Let's not talk about the rest of the weekend series. Uh, I usually don't like doing weekend recaps. Look, the Padres still won two out of the three games that happened this this weekend. They won 13-5 to on Friday, which was rad. Uh, and saw Robert Suarez actually get the W in that one, despite a very poor uh, starting pitching performance from Joe Musgrove. For the record... Ever since Joe Musgrove's contract extension, 4.28 ERA, 1.32 whip, and a 4.30 FIP. So, I'm going to give him one more start because against the Royals, that was concerning. I still think that overall, he's just seeing a regression to the mean. I think he maybe had pitched a little bit above his level uh, to start the season, but it shouldn't be a tremendous regression. But I'm going to give it one more start before I potentially bully him on Twitter, which worked with Josh Bell, in fairness, guys. So I'm, my, but my tweets of bullying... It, it, they're for a reason, guys. Come on. Here you go. Um, they won the, They won that game, though, 13-5, to which was great. Uh, Juan Soto wasn't back in the lineup for that game, but we had Mr. Will Myers actually be kind of the hero of that game and then have a joke about nice saying nice because it was their 69th win. Will Myers, of course, a national treasure. Will Myers in that game, three RBIs, a home run. That was very cool. Jake Cronenworth, who seemingly all year has just been unable to decide whether or not he wants to be a star again. <laughs> like, every time we think he's going to ramp back up to being a star, he kind of falls back down. He's just not slugging the ball. 388 slugging compared to 460 and 477 the past two seasons. Um, he's just not slugging the ball. Uh, the walk rate's fine, 340 on base, but, man, uh, it's, come on, Jake, we need something from you. But he did get two RBIs in this game and a home run as well. And even Hassan Kim. That's right, Hassan Kim. It was the Hassan Kim game. Give the guy some credit. Five, or I'm sorry, three for six with five RBIs, a double, and a home run. It was awesome to see for the guy. You can see the energy of the Padres whenever he does well, and it's awesome. It's 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 just, mm, it's so good. It makes me so happy whenever Hassan Kim does well, and you see the team so excited for him, especially for a player that, I tweeted out, he'd been performing very well. Someone responded, he doesn't have really any home runs over that stretch, aside from this one on Friday. And my thing is, the bottom line with Hassan Kim is he's evolved into being an above average, or at least an average, major league at bat. And if you combine that with the defense, solid MLB player. And when you take into account that he's not really supposed to be the starting shortstop because the other guy, the goober, as I'm going to be calling him from now on on this podcast, not going to say him by name, the shortstop goober who got suspended for PED usage, wasn't expected to be the starting shortstop. So if you just view him as this, like, cool, awesome weapon off the bench and maybe not necessarily an everyday player, Hassan Kim has been awesome for this team. Not everybody has to be a superstar. That's not the only way to win, ladies and gentlemen. It's not! It's not! Ladies and gentlemen. 
And then on Saturday, the Padres won a little bit of a close one, four to three. Uh, Nick Martinez ends up getting the save here. Talked about him already um, and whether or not he is a guy that could be entering the rotation with Sean Mania struggling. Well, I think there's a couple things with that. Number one is that, and by the way, Will Myers also homered on Saturday, which was rad. Um, with the Nick Martinez thing, he was an okay starter, right? Like he was okay. I view him more as this Swiss army man that if they need him to start, he could, if they need him to be a setup man, if they need him to be like the piggyback off of say, uh, a, a, a short Blake Snell start where he only goes three innings. Then they're like, all right, Martinez, we need you to go two or three. He can do that. He can be the closer. I like that. He's kind of got this undefined role with the Padres, but his contract has some weird stipulations where if he reaches a certain amount of starts, then certain kickers come in and whatnot. And I imagine, I wonder if the Padres might be manipulating that. I don't think they are, but you know, that is worth pointing out about whether or not they want to see him start games again and rack up more innings that could potentially, um, kick in for him it should be mentioned that Nick Martinez has a very Nick Martinez friendly contract and he signed this four-year 25 uh, deal that basically allows him to opt out after every year or opt in it's up to him it's a player option and the reason that I didn't like the contract and even though I changed my tune on liking him as a player heading into the season I still didn't like the contract because if Martinez stayed the way he was back when he was in Major League Baseball with the Texas Rangers then he was going to be this guy that was attached to the Padres for a while and if he did well like he is now he could opt out and potentially get more money from another team or even the Padres themselves so that's why I didn't like it and I was wondering how did he earn himself this type of contract you know what I mean for a guy that this isn't you know uh, a Max Scherzer this isn't a guy who has earned that like yeah you do what I say type of deal but nonetheless I think that Nick Martinez has been performing really well in the bullpen and considering the disaster that Josh Hader has been and considering that we don't know what's going on with Drew Pomeranz and his rehab necessarily, I'd be a little bit surprised to see Shamanaya return to the bullpen um, or at least go to the bullpen. And granted, he has been terrible. Uh, on Sunday, he gave up, uh, what was it, six earned runs and almost all of them, actually all of them coming in the first inning, 10 hits over four innings. He's got a 4.9 ERA on the year. Um, let me be clear, I still stand by the trade when it happened. I view him as a 4 or 5, and since he is a 4 or 5 on this team, I figured, why not? There's not much he has to do, right? Wrong, Javier Reyes, you idiot, right? <laughs> he has just been really disastrous. And I do want to talk about one thing really quickly. And that is, I saw, you know, Don and Mud. We love them. God bless them. Like, they're the best. Don Rosillo, Mark Grant, you guys are the best. But they were talking about during the game a little bit about how Campizano wasn't setting up right. And he 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 had his glove low before the pitch came in, basically. And then he would adjust the ball to the thing, or the glove to the ball. And they were saying how that might just drive you mad as a catcher and whatnot. And my thing is, look, I don't understand why Luis Campizano has become this guy that everyone's just out on. He's never really had all that much of a chance. He actually raised his batting average by 100 points because he went two for four in the game, which, by the way, shows you how little opportunity, if you're able to change your batting average that quickly with just one game, shows how little opportunity he's had. And it's not like Jorge Alfaro and Austin Nola have been knocking it out of the park. Love Alfaro. Alfaro-goat, as we all call him, of course. But it's not like this guy's been amazing, right? And Austin Nola, not very good either, 
right? So it's been making me wonder, why is the top catching prospect in your system? And once it's upon a time, just an overall top level prospect in baseball, at least somewhat, who'd been raking in AAA, why is there just this unwillingness to call him up? Personally, I have heard a couple rumors and reports that maybe there's some personality problems and whatnot, that there's some character problems and whatnot, and this doesn't have anything to do with the, the marijuana arrest. It's just some separate things. Can't verify the, the character things. Obviously, I'm not in the clubhouse and whatnot, but is that what it is? Maybe, but is it that bad? You don't want to call him up, right? I don't get that. And as a good friend of the show, Josh Landis said, he tweeted um, at me mentioning... A couple of interesting facts that I think you guys should be made aware of. Austin Nola has thrown out five of 46 runners. And this was back on, hold on, what is today? So Sunday, Saturday. This was back on Saturday, 49, after tonight's game against the Royals. He'll add two more runners. Alfaro is five of 21. It feels like the opposing team has a runner in scoring position once they reach first, if they have even just average speed. And of course, he's uh, got that data from Fangraphs. Might be a good talking point for the next podcast. I think Campy is like 20 of 55 in AAA. Do you think it could translate? So a couple things. First of all, I don't want to pretend that I know all the ins and outs of necessarily how people will translate to the majors because I do not like predicting things when it comes to young players um, just because I think that, you know, we don't have a crystal ball, that whole spiel from Moneyball, right? Like I try not to do that. That being said, from who I've talked to, my good buddy Aram Layton was telling me that Luis Campizano, the one thing that was kind of holding him down back in 2020 was he still needs to mold out and develop as a defensive catcher. Um, and look, like I said, I'm not a superstar expert analytics guru. Um, you know, I try to make the show a little bit more fun. I don't like to boggle it down with too many numbers and also because I'm not that smart. But um, I think it's worth pointing out that Manaya, there was some critiques of Campizano's catching and some people were blaming this on him. There's a couple things with that. First of all, um, as some other people tweeted about, this whole keeping the glove away, that's something that a lot of catchers do. And there's also multiple times when Shamanai was just missing his zone entirely, right? And then most importantly, forget the analyzing of the pitching performance. The idea that you're going to come up and just blame Luis Campizano automatically. Again, I don't know where this hate started from for Luis Campizano. I really don't understand why everybody's like, yeah, he's no good and we're, we're annoyed with him and they're ready to blame him for things. Have you not watched Sean Manaya's starts since, like, beginning of August and maybe even the end of July? Like, do I have to bring up his starts since then? Let's see. Let's see. Okay. July 25th against the Detroit Tigers. He gives up four earned runs, nine runs, only four earned, though, because there was some errors, in three and a third's innings. He does okay against Minnesota. Six innings, two earned runs allowed. Then against the Dodgers, he gets absolutely torched. Eight earned runs over four innings on ten hits. Against San Francisco Giants, three earned runs, uh, four total, across five innings. Against the Marlins, doesn't give up too many runs, but only four innings, three earned runs against the Marlins. That's right. The team that doesn't have Jazz Chisholm right now, that their best player is like Garrett Cooper. I don't even know if he's back. The team that's got Miguel Rojas at shortstop who can't hit worth a lick. The guy, the team that's got, um, what's his name, that we stole Alfaro from? And they've got Jacob Stallings there who can't hit worth a lick either. Yeah, he didn't even pitch that well against them. Against the Nationals, he was okay. Seven innings, only one earned run. Congratulations on pitching well against the Nationals. And then you have this start 
against Colorado. He got lit up at Seattle at one point. He's been bad for a while. So the idea that we're going to blame Luis Campizano for Sean Mania's blow up yesterday, when you can clearly see that Mania was lit missing in the zone, and heck, to getting uh, batters to chase a sinker has not been working all that well, so that didn't work on Sunday either. The fact that we're going to blame Luis Campuzano just feels like scapegoating and not accepting the fact that despite kind of a little bit of a love for him because Manaya's got the same kind of hairstyle that I'm rocking these days, you know what I mean? It's all poofy and crazy, that we're just ready to blame Luis Campuzano. I don't understand that whatsoever. I imagine Padres' ownership and managing and whatnot, they have some more inside info that I do that maybe the players don't like pitching for him. I don't know. But bottom line is it is weird. It is weird for a team that is tiny bit spiraling for them to be kind of having uh, this this discourse sprout that Campuzano isn't a good defensive catcher. I don't know. I think that he needs time. He'll develop. He'll learn. Right? That's what happens when you're a prospect. Why is this the only player? We did that with Abrams. When Abrams was called up and couldn't hit worth anything, we were like, all right, give him time. When Campuzano gets called up against Canley Jansen to start his career in big games against the Dodgers in the bottom of the ninth, and he doesn't succeed against Kenley Jansen, we're all like, ah, he's no good. I don't understand how this happened. I really don't. And Campuzano, leave the man alone. Give him some chance. Give him a chance. He can certainly be better than what Austin Nola certainly has given the Padres, especially since he hasn't been all that good at throwing out runners, as Josh attested to. Uh, what are we doing? What are we doing? I just don't understand it. Very weird stuff. <sighs> Guys, we're going to keep it moving, though. We're going to keep it moving. I like to move it, move it. Um, I don't want to recap the rest of the games. Uh, I already mentioned, you know, uh, the Manaya start. I already mentioned the Joe Musgrove start. I already mentioned that they had a pretty good start, was it, from New Darvish, by the way. Again, I really do believe New Darvish has had such a underrated year. He gave up three earned runs in the first inning against the Royals, which freaked everybody out, but then was good the rest of the way. The consistency, the whip is under one. Darvish, genuinely believe. He's not an underrated player, but because of the name value, right, and all that, but he has had an underrated uh, season, in my opinion. Uh, he's been very effective, and I think um, I owe him an apology because I remember I was not dogging him, but kind of mocking the trade a little bit early on in the year with the whole would you rather have Eric Lauer in assets or you Darvish for as much money he makes, right? Darvish has clearly stepped up big time this year. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the vibe I've been getting with this Padres team. A little bit of a fear. And this might freak some people out. But I just want to talk about the idea of Juan Soto and trading assets, right? Let's be clear. Juan Soto has been exactly as advertised. He homered, by the way, on Sunday. Manny also had two homers, which I didn't mention because there were some other pressing things to deal with when it came to Josh Hader. But... Juan Soto has been pretty phenomenal for the Padres. I mean, yes, he had a couple games that he had to sit out, but with the Padres, he's raised his batting average and he's he's raised everything. Uh, he went from hitting 246 to 296 with the Padres in 20 games. He has a 438 on base, 493 slugging. He's been freaking great. Three homers, like it's awesome. The only thing about him is sometimes his defense. I know he made a nice little catch on what was it Saturday, but bottom line is he needs to improve defensively. I still think he's in the one percentile when it comes to outs above average. So he needs to improve that, and I think he will. But this isn't about him. Instead, I want to talk about two things. Number one, I disagree with the point that the Padres have always, you know, Padres fans have always been told 
that hugging prospects will yield results and it doesn't. That is true. I understand why fans are like, what the heck, you're always telling us. Javi, Robert Hassel, CJ Abrams, James Wood, and Robert Gasser, and Igai Rosario, and Estuary Ruiz, all these guys. They're just, we, they're unknown commodities, and we're always told to wait on the unknown commodities. I do agree. I believe that the Padres, while I've not been a fan of the team as long as some others before people mock me in the comments, it is true. They tend to hug prospects, and then they haven't always panned out. This is a team that has not been all that good basically since 2006, uh, pre-2020. We're not good for a very long time. They're hoping that Jose Perella, who hits like for a high batting average or whatever, that he's like their most exciting player. Seth Smith, Tyson Ross for a little bit, Andrew Kashner a disaster, right? That them being told we have to hold on to assets is kind of what they don't like and that we need to trade for stars because we never do. Here's where I disagree. This time is different, and that's why I thought that the Padres didn't need, quote, let me be clear, need to trade for Juan Soto. Because the way the game of baseball works, unfortunately, this is not the NBA where when you trade for Kevin Durant, all of a sudden you're a title contender. Or when you trade for Drew Holiday, screw all the other pieces, get Giannis his point guard, we can go win the title. This is not a team like the Golden State Warriors. This is not a team like the Toronto Raptors who just say, screw it, we'll trade whatever, go get Kawhi Leonard. It's oftentimes true that the stars do not necessarily run the game. You do want to have them, let's be very clear. Even cheapskate teams like the Milwaukee Brewers, they still got their star in Christian Yelich. He's not anymore, but they do have to go for a player like that to take you to the next level, right? The Cleveland Guardians, they have Jose Ramirez, despite the fact that they traded Lindor and they traded a bunch of their players and slowly are, you know, entered this rebuild era. They do have that one ground, you know, centerpiece to build around. And that's the key here that I disagree with, right? The Padres had their superstars. So if the Padres did not have Fernando Tatis Jr. and they did not have Manny Machado, I would agree with that point of stop hugging the prospects, let's go trade for a star. I would really agree with that, right? And I'm not trying to get super philosophical and esoteric about my analysis here, but I think it needs to be said that when you have those two guys, then it becomes about building depth, not just trying to build a fantasy team. In my opinion, that does not mean I'm against the Juan Soto trade. I just think it's worth pointing out the counter argument to just having those guys come up from your farm. You don't like Trent Grisham? Well, you have Robert Hassel to look forward to. You don't like uh, Will Myers? Well, he's off the books, first of all, after this year. And second, well, you've got James Wood. You've got C.J. Abrams to play second. You worried about how Jake Cronworth isn't slugging the ball anymore? Nice to have uh, C.J. Abrams in your system, isn't it? Right? When you have all these guys, you're worried about the pitching, you got Robert Gasser, you don't like the catching situation, you have Campizano, all these things, right? That's what it takes to build a team. And I think that there is a misconception by Padres fans, and I don't care if you guys make fun of me with this, there is a misconception by Dodgers fans that the Dodgers are bought, not built. That is slightly true. Yes, the Dodgers traded some assets and they got Mookie Betts. But a lot of teams probably weren't going to be able to pay him. So that happened. With Freddie Freeman, of course. With Trey Turner, probably plays a little bit into it, right? Because they were able to trade for him knowing, well, if we do lose him after the year of control, we can certainly pay him, right? So, yes, money is huge. They still have the highest you know, salary in baseball next to the Mets. Like, I get it. That is a big thing with Justin Turner. But think about the rest of their players, right? Clayton Kershaw, that's farm, baby, you know? They make a good trade for Chris Taylor. That's just them making good, savvy moves. Cody Bellinger, when he wins that MVP, right? There's a lot of players here. Julio Arias, 
Dustin May, who sounds like he's going to be awesome, right? Bruce R. Gratterall has some moments every now and then. And who's the other Who's the other pitcher that they have? Andrew Heaney, just a smart little trade, right? Anyone could have had Andrew Heaney. Tyler Anderson, right? There are a lot of players here that aren't just a bought team, right? And I think that that's a misconception that the Padres fans have, which results in Padres fans saying, screw holding on to the prospects. I just want to go get the star because that's what the Dodgers do. It's like, well, on the contrary, go look at the Padres roster. With the exception of uh, Igai Rosario, maybe, right? Like, everyone here on this team was acquired through a trade, right? So that's my thing. And maybe even Luis Campizano. Like, that's my big issue. The Padres are actually the ones that have been doing this, quote-unquote, bought, not built type of thing. Now, don't get me wrong. Trading your assets is still part of building a team. But I do find that a little bit annoying. I think that Padres fans are mistaken there. Um, and I think that while the Juan Soto trade has been phenomenal, it is worth pointing out that there are other ways to improve your team. The Dodgers, they went out and got Joey Gallo. I'm not saying he's a star, but they said, this guy's underperforming. Let's go for him and just get a solid guy. You know, your Trey Mancini's of the world, your Robbie Grossman's of the world, right? These solid players. And that's my other thing with the Josh Hader trade. It is a reminder that what I said before the deadline is, I did not think they needed a superstar closer. Go get Jimenez on Detroit Tigers. Go get Zach Jackson on Oakland, right? Go get Floro or Anthony Bass on the Marlins, guys that certainly wouldn't cost nearly as much as Josh Hader. Not that we know for sure that Robert Gasser and Estrella Ruiz are going to be awesome, but wouldn't you rather have those guys back? And also Taylor Rogers has been good over his past few innings. He's been much better, which I think is okay. He's not a total nuclear disaster, right? That's my thing. That's my thing. And I will say that the, the Padres, man, they uh, y- you got to hope. You got to hope that they can write the ship. I still think they can. We got to keep in mind that they still have a, a hold of a playoff spot. Thank you, wild card. But I just want everybody to sit on that. That's my take of the day. Remember that that is not the only way to win baseball is to just trade for stars, right? They traded a lot. They go out and get Josh Bell and Brandon Drury. I wrote in my deadline reaction piece that, you know, sometimes just this amount of turnover, you can't build baseball teams like a fantasy team. Remember Upton and Will Myers and Craig Kimbrell and all those guys? Yeah, they were okay, but sometimes there's something to be said for slowly upgrading your team a little bit, right? And having a little bit more of a built foundation, right? The Padres had those stars, If they did not have Tatis and Manny Machado, I would agree with the notion that you're just prospect hugging if you don't want the Padres to trade those guys, right? But they do. So that's my thing. Love that Juan Soto is here. I still do that trade 10 times out of 10, but I do take issue with the notion that that's the only thing they were supposed to do. It was win or lose, get Juan Soto. That's it, because that's what the Dodgers do. I disagree with that. But ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, that won't be the only take that you might have uh, some beef with me over because for tomorrow's episode, we're going to be talking about Fernando Tatis Jr., his legacy, and talking about a little bit of a mock trade that got me flamed on Twitter the other day, which was honestly very enjoyable. I loved it. Um, So we're going to be talking about that on tomorrow's episode. Then Wednesday, perhaps, or Thursday, recapping the series against the Giants. It's going to be a great series. 
hopefully they can get some W's out of it. The Giants have been floundering and, and spinning and around and going haywire, right? So hopefully the Padres can bounce back. I believe that the starter for tonight's game, let me just check it up really quickly, is Mike Clevenger. He's been a little bit shaky of late, so I'd like to see a really dominant start from him. Um, granted, he's going to need to be because it's against Carlos Rodon tonight. So, Also, last point before we close the show out. First of all, go check out Lockdown MLB with my man Sully. He was on uh, the last episode we did, so go check him out. He talks about all things baseball across any team. Also, I am working on trying to improve the video quality a little bit. Um, I'm going to mention that on tomorrow's episode as well. That... Um, Look, I, uh, you know, I'm trying to improve the video quality. So hopefully that gets a little bit better, at least for the time being, uh, to make a little bit of an improvement for all my YouTube folk that listen to the show slash watch the show. But yeah, with that all being said, that about does it, ladies and gentlemen, for today's edition of the Lockdown Padres podcast, the only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V. I-I-P-E-N-O, at L-O underscore Padres. Lockdown Padres on YouTube. And until next time, stay safe. And of course, stay faithful. My prior faithful. Stay safe.